Good morning, everybody. It is Thursday, February 25th. Welcome back to The Read Option. I'm your host, Jeff Weisinger. And joining me alongside the legend himself, Matthew Reed, we have a special guest for you guys today. Out here talking college hoops with the one and only from your favorite athletic Philadelphia, CJ Holmes. CJ, welcome to the pod, man. How you doing? Doing good, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Awesome. First and foremost, how are you doing through everything? Is the family safe? Also, more importantly, how's the dog? You know how much I love that pup. <laughs> yeah, everyone's uh, everyone's doing good. Uh, thank thank God. Uh, everyone's doing well. Um, everyone's solid. And uh, Coach is good. He's actually uh, sitting behind me right now, laying on the floor. Coach <laughs> <laughs> is judging. Awesome. <laughs> that was like the best part because you were supposed to come to Berkeley. And I told Cam you had a dog. And we like were like super juiced to meet this dog. So that was supposed to be a thing. Um, but let's get started. Um, f- for those who may not have seen your work, or who those for, for those missing out, I should say, if you have not seen his work, look him up at The Athletic. Um, you know, let, t- t- introduce yourself. Let us know who you are. Uh, yeah, uh, CJ Holmes uh, from the D.C. area. Uh, grew up on 12th and Lawrence in Southeast for a while to my mom remarried. Uh, ended up in Virginia. Uh, hooped all my life, uh, played in high school, played AAU. Uh, my junior year, I went down to IMG Academy, played there my uh, junior senior year. Uh, ended up walking on at Auburn. Uh, let's see, started writing for the school paper my sophomore year, and you know that turned into internships, and uh, internship eventually turned into a job opportunity after my first year moved from uh, college. Uh, started off at the Dallas Morning News, got out of there after a year. Um, athletics swooped in, scooped me up, and I've uh, been at the company for three years now. Uh, first year, I was uh, working, I was operating in the Phoenix area uh, as GA, kind of doing Cardinal Suns, Arizona State stuff. Uh, second year, they moved me down to Tucson to cover the U of A, uh, basketball and football full time. And uh, since September, I've been living here in Philadelphia covering the Big Five. Now, before we bury the lead, Walking on our Auburn, talk to us what it was like walking on into an, onto an SEC, SEC uh, basketball program. It was an incredible experience, man. Uh, it was tough, but, uh, you know, I thank God for it every day. Um, you know, I always wanted the chance to play college basketball, and uh, I lucked into that opportunity, you know, an opportunity that not a lot of kids get. Um, you know, I got to see the inner workings of a college basketball program firsthand, which uh, only helps my perspective as a college basketball writer, you know, because I lived it. I went three for three in my career. So uh, technically I'm the best, uh, (laughs) I have the highest shooting percentage in uh, conference history, uh, uh, minimum three shots. So, uh, (laughs) so I, uh, so I loved it, man. Um, It was great. And I wouldn't trade those experiences for the world, made some lifelong friends. Uh, my best friend, KT, who's uh, one of our best players during my time on the team. His son actually just turned two today. So I look oh. forward to FaceTiming them later. But it, it was just great, man. It, it was great. For He's the record, I'm definitely going to be using that stat on my next trivia <laughs> night now. <laughs> Auburn's greatest shooter, minimum three shots. So if we go, I was wondering when we have question of the day, hope you guys are paying attention to this podcast. Um, you have favorite arena playing in, in the SEC. Had to be Rupp, man. Uh, I was a huge John Wall fan, you know, during his time with Kentucky. Uh, s- still am today. Uh, you know, I'm a Wizards fan too. So sad uh, they decided to go in a different direction. I feel like my boy John deserved better, but that's a conver- conversation for did. another day. But um, 
you know, when it comes to the SEC, um, Rupp Arena for sure. Um, the Swamp down to Florida. That was a cool one. Uh, playing out at uh, Tennessee. That was pretty cool too. Toughest place we ever played though had to be Arkansas. Um, really? I mean, not only do they press you for 40 minutes, their fans yeah. are relentless. What, what about Bama? Yeah, we don't talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to get something out of you. Come love on. that. That is, that is true Auburn right there. That is that, true that. Auburn. I love, love that, that man. Um, so now, now you cover college hoops. You covered the Big Five. Uh, big have big focus on Nova, obviously. Let me ask you, what has it been like covering, not just college, sports in general, but college hoops particularly during this pandemic for the last year plus? Because not only are you new to Philly and new to the to the beat, but like you're doing it's it's everything's just thrown so out of whack compared to normal. You know, it's it's been strange, Jeff. Um, you know, as a writer, you're only as good as the relationships you build, and the pandemic's made it really hard to do that, you know. Um, you know, the reason why I was able to have so much success on the Arizona beats because I was able to I was able to sit in those news conferences and look coaches in the eyes and interview players in person and you know you know, let them know I'm a former athlete and let them know that, you know, I know what you guys are going through because I lived it. And, you know, it seems like, you know, guys really appreciated and responded to that. Um, I was able to build great relationships, um, you know, especially with uh, Nico Mannion last year, um, him and his family, his trainer, I was cool with all those guys. Um, but it's just been strange during this pandemic year because um, you can't build those relationships. Um, you're, you're stuck behind a Zoom screen uh, most of the time, uh, you, you're not feeling the same atmosphere at home games as you usually would. Um, so it's it's definitely been a challenge, and I feel like I've still been able to, you know, do a good job in this new role, um, you know, despite those limitations. But you know, I'm covering five new schools, and a lot of these people they don't know my name, um, they don't know the kind of work I do. And it's, it's, it's hard to do that unless you can, you know, physically sit across from somebody and, you know, tell them who you are. First and foremost, if they don't know your name, they're completely missing out. I'm going to tell you right now, uh, they are fully missing out. Let me ask you, though, like, from a player's perspective, right, because you talk about the atmosphere. To go from an, a college hoops atmosphere as we know it to now it's just like it's almost night it's got to be night and day right what does that do to a player's mindset or if anything you know it forces them to kind of create their own energy more so than they're already responsible for as players you know earlier in the year i wrote a column um about villanova and i was just talking about you know where's the energy for these guys you know like they just seem fly they just seem dead and then i covered a game at the fin for the first time and just seeing how quiet it is in there. I mean, you can hear guys, you know, yelling out, you know, defensive switches and stuff. And, and, and you know, sometimes these games kind of just feel like glorified scrimmages. Yeah. It's tough, you know. Uh, there's a lot of teams around the country that rely on that fan energy to get them going. Um, you know, kind of like in Arkansas, like I mentioned earlier. Um, I don't know if you've ever, uh, if you've heard of Grand Canyon out in Arizona. Yep. But they have one of the best home court advantages in all of college basketball, and it's because of their fans feeding that energy to them. So it's been really difficult from a player standpoint. You know, how do you – I mean, that's a lot of the reason you play, right? You, you, you play basketball, you play college basketball, 
you know, for the fans so, so, in a way. And, you know, it's really forced them to really dig deep inside themselves and having to create that energy. And that's not always easy. You know, the the in the the, the, the ins and outs of a college basketball season are strenuous enough. You know, the games are supposed to be a reward. And, you know, without the fans there, it's 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 hard to get yourself going at times. And, you know, the teams that have been most successful this year have been the teams that have been able to you know, find that energy within themselves and, you know, not have to rely on the fans. It's been an adjustment for everyone. Do you think a team like Villanova that you figure will be a lock to make the NCAA tournament that hasn't had fans this season will benefit from the fact that going into Indy, they're potentially going to be playing in front of a crowd, um, potentially with some of their own fans for uh, March Madness? Um, It'll definitely help, right? Um, You know, 25% capacity, I don't know how much of a difference it would make. Yeah. And fans can't help you out defensively. Of right? course. <laughs> you, know, you still, you still got to guard dudes. Uh, yeah. But um, I mean, I'm sure the guys would love to, you know, look up in the stands and, you know, see some fans wearing their colors. Um, they'll probably they'll probably do a lot for their confidence. And like you said, they'll probably do a little more for that energy, um, you know, mm. that they're forced to create. Would you uh how much of a, is it going to be that much of a boost? Is that that much of a significant boost? Do you think just having, even if it's a quarter, and even some of your fans, how much of an advantage is that? But also having March Madness in one total location because usually we have it in several locations until the Final Four, if I have it right, until one's in one spot. But like, it's all in Indy if I have it right, right? It's yeah. all in Indy this year. How much of an advantage is that for Nova or for a lot of the other schools? How much is that going to be an advantage or disadvantage this year? You know, like I said, it's only 25% capacity. It helps a little bit, but I don't think it, I honestly don't think it would make that big of a difference, you know. But then again, I remember when Villanova played Texas um, down in Austin earlier in the year and just watching the game on TV, uh, you, you can hear the fans in there. Right. So, you know, it it makes a little bit of a difference, you know, Um, schools that have more fans. I mean, sure. Yeah, I'll give them a little bit of an edge Um, in terms of the tournament being played in Indy. I mean, I like it. I think that, you know, honestly, personally, I think that this should be a format that the NCAA should keep moving forward. I mean, I know it's cool, you know, usually spreading the NCAA tournament out around the country, but. You know, Indy's going to be a complete college basketball takeover. Yeah. I mean, I think that's going to be awesome. It's going to be great for the city. Um, and it's going to be good for, you know, the teams and the athletes in terms of, you know, reducing travel. And, you know, the big thing, you know, people are saying is, oh, you're going to have all the teams in one place. The virus is going to spread. This is a bad idea. You got to understand after the first weekend, it's going to be half the amount of teams there. Exactly. And yeah. then the following weekend, it's going to be half of that. Yeah. So um, I think it's going to work out. Um, I commend the NCAA um, for putting a plan together and, you know, actually getting us to March. Um, if you asked me back in November, I didn't think a tournament was going to happen this year. Um, but, you know, because of the health and safety protocols and, you know, the ways teams have handled themselves responsibly this year for the most part, yeah, we've had a lot of teams have had to go on pause or, or you know, players having to sit out um, for, you know, displaying COVID-like symptoms. But, you know, Overall, um, I don't have the exact stat, but I think like I think like at least like 85 percent of all college basketball games have been played this year. And considering the fact that we're in a pandemic, um, I see that as an absolute win. 
you talk about um, everything being centralized and then, you know, us having much menace. How important in your view is it that we have much madness happening this year, right? That we have that sense of normality where, because we all know, look, I mean, I, I personally may not be, be big in college basketball, even though I've covered it my entire career, but like having much madness, having that sense of normality, right? How important do you think that that has been? It's huge. It's huge. Um, I mean, the financial implications of having a, the financial benefits of having NCAA tournament, I mean, those speak for themselves. And we saw the damage that not having last year's tournament you know, the ripples that sent across college basketball, but money aside, um, it's just great for the players, right? The players want to play. The players want to play champ, want to, want to play for championships. There's a lot of, you know, like you think, think about a team like Dayton last year that had their best season in school history and they didn't even get to, you know, play in a tournament fast forward to this year. I mean, I'm not even sure if they're in the field. Um, yeah. Somebody correct me on that, but I'm not even sure if they're in the field. Um, but, you know, you this is it's a good thing for the players. You know, I know the NCAA is giving everyone a year of eligibility back, but there's a lot of seniors who are going to decide that, hey, four, I had my four-year plan, enough is enough. I'm going to move on um, to the next chapter of my life, whether that's, you know, <laughs> finding a job in something other than sports or, uh, you know, I'm moving on to the next chapter and, you know, playing basketball professionally, whether that be in the NBA overseas. You know, for a lot of guys, this is their last shot. Um, to not have an NCAA tournament this year would be devastating for them. So um, I commend the NCAA for putting the framework in place for us in order to get through this season and have a have March Madness relatively safety safely. And um, it feels good for the players because they deserve this. Um, you know, um, they can only control what they can control. A lot of these dudes are out here, you know, busting their ass and working hard every day just for the chance to win a championship. Yeah. And I'm glad that this year they'll have the opportunity to do that. I was going to say, uh, I live in New Jersey. I've grown up here forever and watching Rutgers get robbed of making the tournament last year after losing one game at home the entire season was heartbreaking because Geo Baker was playing the best basketball he's ever played. Um, obviously, Ron Harper's really trans transitioned this year, but I I'm just extremely happy to see these guys playing again. Talking about getting robbed, my Tigers got robbed. You already know he was going back to the Final Four last year. Come on now. Uh so going on to the court, I have to ask, we know Baylor's been coming up for the last few years. We know Gonzaga's Gonzaga's been doing their thing as well. But and I want to put more focus on Gonzaga. How serious is this run on? Like how dangerous are they going into the tournament? We do this every <laughs> year. Yeah. We do this every single year. We hype up Gonzaga and they never win the big one but is this, this the year because it just feels like i mean it, it does undefeated. I, mean, I mean i mean let's be real i mean this is one of the more talented gonzaga teams we've seen in recent memory i mean jalen suggs is a stud Corey kisper is an absolute sniper um what makes this gonzaga team different is they have more offensive firepower i mean gonzaga is always going to guard right but you know they have more offensive firepower than they've had in recent years and that's what makes them so dangerous but you know at the same time i mean gonzaga i mean who have they played i don't think they've played a quad like correct me if i'm wrong but i don't think they've played a quad one no, game since november yep. right so you know as i'm not saying that this isn't a good gonzaga team undefeated is undefeated i don't care what 
conference, um, division you play in, undefeated is undefeated. Um, this Gonzaga team is good, but, you know, when, when we get to the tournament and you start stacking up against quality teams, are they going to be able to take what they did in the regular season and carry it over? Because that's always the question with Gonzaga. Um, they're talented every year, but, you know, they haven't won the big thing. Um, are they the favorites heading into this year's NCAA tournament? Absolutely. But I don't know. I just feel like we place so much hype on them, but that's the thing. I mean, between them and Baylor, they're really the only two teams in college basketball that have really, really separated themselves this year. So like, I don't know. Something in the back of my mind tells me that it's not going to be a Gonzaga or Baylor that wins the NCAA tournament. Who's that, who's that going to be? I have no idea, but in a year like this, with all the strangeness and craziness, I mean, it's probably going to be a weird Final Four field. And the national champion, champion, the eventual national champion is probably not going to be who we expect. So if we're excluding Gonzaga, um, Baylor, and probably Michigan, right, because they have one loss, they've done pretty well in the Big Ten this season, um, who's that next team? Because it seems like there's there's really a big drop-off after those top three teams, right? Like you could throw in Illinois, and that's got a ton of talent, but who, who's that team in your mind? Um, I think Illinois is a good candidate. I mean, they're super young, but they're just so talented. And they're the type of team that can – I mean, they can put together a 20-0 run on you in a blink. Yeah. Um, come March, offensive firepower really helps their team to keep an eye on. I know Alabama's coming off of a loss, but – um, Nate Oates has some boys balling right now um, yeah. at the expense of Auburn University. But um, <laughs> you know, Alabama's a team I'm, I'm, I'm going to keep a close eye on. Uh, number seven, Oklahoma. I don't know. Something about them just kind of turns me off. You know, it's probably unfairly. Yeah. But, um, you know, I don't, I'm not really expecting a deep uh, run from Oklahoma. Villanova. I mean, what kind of team are we going to see come March? You know, heading into the year, they had expectations on par with Gonzaga and Baylor. You know, heading into this season, there were three clear-cut national championship favorites, and it was Gonzaga, Baylor, and Villanova. Yeah. Now, Villanova's had its strong moments this year. Um, they have a nine-game winning streak to their credit. Uh, but other than that, I mean, they're just such a hard team to figure out because they haven't really played anybody. And in, yeah. and, and in the games where they have played quality opponents – uh, they've struggled, you know, they've struggled. Um, so it's really going to be based on, you know, which Villanova team shows up. Are they going to be able to guard? His defense has been that team's biggest issue. Um, you know, after losing the St. John's handily um, out in Queens a couple weeks ago, they were able to bounce back and knock off the Red Storm at home handily and convincingly. Um, seemed like they – uh, had a better sense for handling that press. I don't think they had any turnovers out of the press. They had 15 turnovers for the game, but most of those came in the half court because, you know, at the end of the day, you know, St. John's guards, that's their identity. Um, they, they, they speed you up. But um, Villanova did a good job in that game slowing things down. Um, they got back into a rhythm from deep. I think they had 11 made three-pointers in that game. And they looked like – how Villanova should look at this time of the year. Um, yeah. The only question is, it's going to carry over. Is is this the time where Villanova is going to start spiking? Um, they have another really big test against a Creighton team that, let's be real, kicked their ass <laughs> on the road a couple weeks back. Um, they're going to have to validate, you know, this St. John's win by, you know, being Creighton in my eyes. 
But um, Villanova's talented. Um, they have veterans. Um, offensively, they can kill you in a lot of different ways. But what's going to kill Villanova in the tournament is defense. Yeah. If 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 this is the Villanova team we're going to see moving forward, then yeah, maybe we can you know slide Villanova into the national championship conversation. But Villanova is only going to go as far as his defense takes them. Obviously, Jay Wright plays a big role in this, right? Though because ultimately, when it comes down to March Madness. Coaching wins out in a lot of ways, right? Like when you look at the teams that have had success over recent years, they're the big coaches. It's a Shashevsky, it is a Jay Wright, Calipari in the past. How much of a boost does he give them just having that experience? That's a two-time national championship winning coach. I mean, Jay Wright's one of the best to do it. Um, if you have him on your sideline, you have a chance to win. Um but uh, this year, Jay Wright has his work cut out for him, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, I know we focus so much on those already in. Who is the one team, in your view, that we need to look out for this year? Or that's on the bubble or a lower, a way lower seed? Like, who is that one kind of sleeper team, in your, in your opinion? Well, um, you know... You gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta take a look at one of the blue bloods, Duke. You know, since uh, Jalen Johnson decided to, um, you know, leave the program, Duke's been spiking a little bit. You know, maybe that's a team that can get hot at the right time, right? Sneak into the tournament and make a run. Also, look at a team like UConn and James Booknight. Um, simply because every year in college basketball you you know when the tournament rolls around you have a player or two that just has an insane march and i think a guy like james booknight could be a good candidate to have a really good tournament if uconn can get in um yeah right now they're on the bubble um i think they're like 10 and 7 10 and 6 10 and 7 right now um they're gonna have to they're gonna have to they're probably going to have to win out the regular season and make a deep run in the Big East tournament to get in. But if UConn can get in, you know, with James Booknight, I think they have a chance to, you know, make some magic. I mean, it's not like we haven't heard this story before, right, with UConn? <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, look, <laughs> we, we've seen it before with Kimball Walker, you know. Could, uh, maybe Booknight can uh, recreate some of that magic. So you were talking about Jalen Johnson a little bit too with Duke. Um, he, he's been considered a first-round pick. Uh, basically the entire year before he opted out. What does it say about his draft status potentially of him opting out and then the team obviously improving pretty significantly without him? I don't know. Um, it's a complicated situation because you don't want to rip a kid for doing what he thinks is best for him. Um, yeah. As much as college programs take out of these athletes, I mean, you can't really fault Jalen Johnson for you know keeping himself and his future in mind. Yeah. Um, Johnson's a phenomenal talent. Uh, maybe his struggles with Duke came down to fit. Maybe it came on the chemistry. Maybe there's stuff going on behind the scenes and practices or in locker rooms that we don't yeah. know about. But here's one thing. NBA scouts, they're going to know about it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, once they have all the information, they'll be able to paint a better picture of what kind of person they think Jalen Johnson is. Um, Jalen Johnson, the player skill set speaks for itself. Um, you know, choosing an opt-out this late in the season, does it look good on him? No, not necessarily, especially when your team gets hot without you, gone. But, yeah. um, you know, those Duke players, they probably felt like they were abandoned in a way. 
they're like, oh, you know, I can only imagine those conversations like, oh, he doesn't want to be here. If he doesn't want to be here, let's show him what he's missing. Yeah. Um, but, you know, moving forward, I wish Jalen the best. Um, you know, I hope he hears his name called early um, in the NBA draft. I hope he has a great career. Um, it's just a really complicated situation down there at, at Duke. Well, it was. I guess it's yeah. kind of over at this point. <laughs> it's a little but, resolved um, now. You know, it's just a, it's just a, it's just a messy situation. And you can't really assess it without all the facts. One thing that I've kind of found interesting, especially the last couple of weeks, now that the G League has started back up, back up, is the emergence of Kaminga, um, Jalen Green. These these are guys that obviously decided to forego playing college basketball, went straight to the G League because they could get paid and also show out for scouts. They're already technically within the NBA system now. Um, even prior to getting drafted, do you envision this becoming something more of the norm for some of these top guys going forward and skipping college basketball? Um, I think so. I think so, simply because, um, you know, I think the rule that players need to be one year removed, you know, from college to play the NBA, you know, I think it's ridiculous. You know, if, it, if a kid wants to bet on himself, and, yeah. you know, join the professional ranks, that's on him. If it doesn't work out, that's on him too. But it's not fair to these guys because, you know, just like us normal people, right? I mean, you have a choice to go to college. If you don't want to go to yeah, college, you don't have to, you know? Um, I do like how the NBA created an avenue um for top high school prospects who don't want to go to college. But the fact of the matter remains is, you know, they should be able to jump straight to the league if they want to. Um, yeah. I hate it uh, personally as an Auburn guy. I really wanted my guy, uh, Jalen Green, to uh, be an Auburn Tiger. Imagine a backcourt with him, Sharif Cooper. Oh, been man. Beautiful, you know, and Justin Powell would have been beautiful. Um, wouldn't have mattered anyway. Can't play in the tournament this year. Uh, you know, self-imposed uh, sanctions. Yes, but I like it. Um, I think it adds more visibility for the G League. Um, it allows these guys to, you know, get more experience because, you know, I do think that the G League level of competition is greater than that of college basketball. I mean, that you have that multiple, was gonna be my next question. Yeah, I mean, you have multiple guys on G League teams that you know led their conference in scoring or yeah, like exactly. you know former All Americans and things like that. So. Um, you know, it's kind of a, I guess right now it's a, in a way it's like a win-win, you know, G League gets more visibility these players get more experience and, you know, they get to make the jump the following year. But the fact still remains that, you know, there shouldn't be a one-year removed rule in the first place, if you ask me. What does the, the high school entry into the G League, what does that do for college hoops? Oh, how does it, how would it hurt in the end, right? Because you could probably test this because I, I can't shoot fucking free throw for life for me but you know if you had the option to go to the g let me ask you this because as someone who played for auburn if you had the opportunity to go to the g league or had the opportunity to go to auburn which one are you doing i'm going you know if it's me right i was just a walk-on but if like i was like a five-star recruit i want to mm -hmm. go to college simply because it's not about the money. That's just me. You know, it's about the college experience. And like I said, getting to play in the SEC and travel around the different schools and play in the NCAA tournament. Yeah. You know, a lot of these kids these days, they're, they're thinking about the money first. And that's okay. 
that's fine yeah. right but a guy like me um you know i i want the college experience because that's just you know <clears throat> what i've always wanted personally um in terms of how you know the new g league kind of routes affects college basketball i mean it's not going to affect it that much i mean look at this season you know we still had tons of quality teams well <laughs> we still had a lot of solid teams yeah we, we had two quality teams tons of solid teams <laughs> and um and really i mean there's only going to be like maybe one two or three guys in an entire recruiting class who are even ready to jump that level of basketball in the first yeah. place. Yeah. Right. Would have been nice having a Jonathan Kuminga and a Dacian Nix and a Jalen Green in college basketball this year. I mean, yeah, but I mean, the game's going to be fine without it. I guess just my final question would be, and following off of that is, you talked about the college experience. Obviously, that's part of why you chose to play college basketball. No, no, I chose to play college basketball because I had no choice. <laughs> we hoodie here first, guys. I, I barely, I barely, and I barely did that. So, <laughs> but, but for some of these top prospects that obviously do choose college because of part, in, at least in part, because of that experience with COVID going on. Um, and obviously us not knowing how long this thing's going to last. A lot of these colleges, especially up north, you don't, you don't get that experience. Do you think that if you are a top prospect, that could potentially push you more towards the G League now over these next couple of seasons? I mean, probably. I think the biggest, the most attractive thing about the G League route for these high school guys is not only are they getting, you know, paid a you know, pretty little penny, but they're also getting NBA coaching. And, you know, NBA mentorship and NBA guidance, which will, you know, not only improve their draft stock, but help their transition to the NBA. Um, but, I mean, like, like I said, it kind of just varies from person to person. Some guys want to chase the money. Some guys want to get their ASAP. You know, some guys want to, you know, go to college for two or three years and, you know, just have that college experience. It, it, it just varies from person to person and whatever a young player chooses he's not wrong yeah i guess i mean i think it's weird because i mean i come from a football background right so you know we have three years like kids have three years before so you're forced into the college scene and i feel there's uh, all these other new leagues kind of coming up to kind of try to jump that to go pro and i'm really curious like just if, from a professional aspect being a high school kids or like the one and done i just feel like if you're gonna do if you're going to force the college thing, so to say, I just feel like, you know, do two years instead of one, right? Because I feel like it's, I mean, th- this, does this hurt the game? I mean, I might have asked that already, but. I mean, like I said, I, like, yeah, I don't, I don't think it's necessarily going to hurt the game. Like I said, there's still tons of talent in college basketball this season without Jonathan Kaminga and um, Dacia Nix and Dalen yeah. Green. There's still plenty of talent, right? Um and like I said, it's only a very small percentage of guys coming out of high school who are even ready to make a jump like that. Yeah. Like awesome. you're not, you're never going to be able to fill up a G League Ignite team full of players coming out of high school because not everyone's going to be ready. Um, now, granted, could it take away from us having like a Zion Williamson 
and college basketball in future seasons. You know, he's just going to go to the G League, maybe. Maybe. But I still think the college game is going to be fine without it. And I think it will be better for it because the guys who want to play college basketball are going to be the guys playing college basketball. And it's only going to improve the quality of the game and the competition that we see. CJ Holmes of The Athletic, thank you so much, bro, for coming on the pod. You are our first ever guest. God bless you for being our guest because, <laughs> I mean, if you've seen a list of people who rejected, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> well, CJ, if, they, if, you, me, if people want to follow you, people who should be following you and they don't follow you yet, where can they find you? You can find me on uh, Twitter and Instagram at CJ Holmes 22 And real quick, who's your favorite to win it all this year? He is folding the camera down. Give me Baylor. Yes. Baylor? Okay. Baylor. Okay. Okay. You heard here, guys. Gonzaga's winning it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) CJ, man. Bro, thank you so much again. Thanks again, CJ. Really appreciate it. Thank you for being our first ever guest. And we'll be back again Monday for the latest episode of The Read Option. For Matthew Reed, I'm Jeff Weisinger. Take care of one another, y'all. 